You're listening to the Peak Performance Podcast with Dr. Robert Barton. As a chiropractor for over 24 years and the founder of Peak Performance Spine and Sports Medicine, Dr. Barton is here to help you reach your personal peak performance by discussing topics that impact your long-term health. Let's do this. Welcome back to the Peak Performance Podcast, everyone. This is your host, Dr. Robert Barton, and I am here with a very special guest, Dr. Arlen Hill. And Dr. Hill, he's a functional medicine doctor, which means that you know he goes in with patients and, and physicians, and he, and he looks for the cause of our ailments. And, and a lot of it's treated with nutrition. We certainly don't have a medication deficiency within our bodies that causes disease, we often have a nutritional deficiency, which contributes to disease. And in today's conversation, we're going to be talking about vitamin D with regard to COVID-19. Vitamin D is just a huge subject these days with regard to our health. It happens to have relevance with regard to COVID-19. And Dr. Hill is going to be taking a deeper dive into vitamin D today. And we're going to just, you know, I'm looking forward to this conversation to learn from him. He has been doing this for over 20 years has literally consulted with hundreds, if not thousands, of medical physicians, uh, chiropractors who do this type of work, of course, patients, and his knowledge and expertise is greatly, greatly appreciated. Welcome, Dr. Hill. Good to have you on the show. Absolutely, Dr. Barton. I appreciate the introduction. Great. So, uh, you know, vitamin D, uh, kind of give us an overview, and I, and I won't, you know, I, I know you have a presentation that's kind of prepared here, so I don't want to, you know, lead you too much, but, you know, can we give the audience just an idea of what vitamin D is and, and what it does for us, and then uh, we'll go from there. The first thing that comes to mind for me on this is when, when we talk about vitamin D, obviously, as the name implies, it is a vitamin, but what you also have to acknowledge is that it's also a pro-hormone, and the pathways in the body in which vitamin D is made, and I'll come back to that in just a moment, but those pathways are along the same lines of the pathways that allow us to produce hormones like testosterone, progesterone, estrogen. So if you think about vitamin D as a pro-hormone and not solely as a vitamin, you can very quickly begin to see and, and probably fathom that the roles for vitamin D are pretty extensive and it has a lot of applications throughout the body. And it makes it very easy when we start talking, whether it's about bones or muscle or immune function or cardiovascular, it's very easy to see why there's so many different areas where vitamin D serves a role at. When you start to think about vitamin D, you always have to go back and look at the context of vitamin D in nature. How, how would we inherently acquire vitamin D if we didn't have supplementation or if it wasn't coming into our food supply. And vitamin D is different than other nutrients in that when we take cholesterol and we expose it to UV light, we in turn make what is known as cholecalciferol. It's also termed vitamin D3. It's the preferred form in supplementation. It's the preferred therapeutic form. But when that conversion of cholesterol to that form of vitamin D takes place, there are some other steps that have to occur beyond that to ultimately get to what we would label as the active form of vitamin D. We have to have a conversion that takes place in the liver. We have to have a conversion that takes place in the kidney. And that's relevant because that starts to get us into the idea of how do I define what my current vitamin D status is and how do I track it? And we'll talk more about that, but that's important 
at this point in our conversation because one, so many people are deficient in vitamin D and, and we see that you just rough numbers on this and this will vary a bit from source to source, but rough numbers on this are that at least half of the population is suboptimal in their vitamin D status, if not outright deficient. Uh, and to, to just give perspective here, when you're deficient in vitamin D, we're talking about less than 30 on a lab test. And to be honest, that's a pretty dismal level of vitamin D. You're missing, uh, there's a lot of things that are not taking place in the body when you're down that low on your, on your laboratory test. So we don't want to just be out of a deficiency state or even just into a suboptimal state. We want to be optimal, which means that we need levels that at a minimum are up above 50 and ideally, if we can push them up closer to, say, somewhere around 70 to 100, we're looking at even more ideal function from vitamin D. And again, this is a hormone, so it, it's going to have some, some systemic whole body effects that we need to take advantage of. And what are some of the things that people would, you know, what, in other words, how do people feel when they have low vitamin D or even suboptimal vitamin D? What, what kind of things, how, how does that affect us? Yeah, vitamin D is interesting in this context because I think the one that comes to mind for me immediately on this that I even see clinicians overlook this one a lot of times is the dull, achy muscle pain that, you know, and, and, I, and I'll speak at this from a practitioner standpoint for just a moment to our audience here, which is you've got a practitioner who's maybe been working with a patient for a while and they've seen some improvement, but they just haven't seen as much improvement. And they've been doing some, some hands-on therapies with them or even some, you know, like other types of, of therapies. And it just doesn't, the patient just doesn't see the resolution that they're looking for. Well, you were stating early on in the introduction that from a functional medicine perspective, we're looking for the root cause. And sometimes that root cause is nothing more than a nutrient deficiency. And you factor in how many people are deficient in vitamin D. And it's very easy to see why something as simple as a dull, achy pain that you just don't have a, a good explanation for otherwise may be related to a vitamin D deficiency. So I, I would say that is one that is, is easily overlooked, but could be a good indicator. Outside of that, there's actually several other ones that patients probably would note on this or should at least consider. One is hypertension, high blood pressure. Vitamin D does help regulate the some of the blood pressure controlling systems in the body that are associated with the kidneys. So that could be an, an easy one to, to look at there. And then probably the one that is at the top of most people's minds right now is going to be immune function. Individuals that seem to have a suboptimal immune efficiency. They just don't have what we would call good immunocompetency. The immune system just doesn't have the ability to develop a fulminant response as it should. And the immune system more specifically starts to lose the ability to self-regulate. And this can be a, a problem on a number of levels, one of which is that if the immune system doesn't have the ability to self-regulate, it can't differentiate whether we're dealing with something with, with a problem that's inside of the cell versus a problem that's outside of the cell. And that's the difference between am I fighting a bacterial infection or am I fighting a viral infection? Mm -hmm. And so an absence in vitamin D doesn't allow your immune system to develop the proper response of how to do that. More so, we see that there is a big rise in autoimmune conditions right now. I imagine all of us know someone with an autoimmune condition. And vitamin D, I always challenge clinicians on this. Go to PubMed and look up medical literature and type in vitamin D and cross-reference that with 
almost any autoimmune condition and you will see medical literature substantiating the correlation between those two. And it simply is a, it underscores the point that without vitamin D, your immune system doesn't have tolerance anymore and it becomes overly reactive to things that it otherwise shouldn't be. When we talk about repleting, which is the process of putting a nutrient back into the system, I think a lot of people don't realize or appreciate how slow the body depletes and then relatively how slow it repletes. And there are, you know, people that go to their, their regular medical doctor, there's a protocol where they take one 70,000 IU vitamin D pill per week for a number of weeks. And that's certainly effective. I mean, the numbers come up, but can you talk a little bit about uh, the repletion strategy that, that you subscribe to or that you have experience with in terms of getting those numbers up and, and the kind of the time frame as well? Like what, what kind of dose are we looking at? What kind of time frames are you looking at? And is it different for different people? Yeah, that's a, that's a really a great question on this. When we start looking at the repletion side of things, we we always I always say we need to look to nature. What is how how is this naturally supposed to be taking place? Do we go out and have sun exposure once a week for five hours and not have any additional sun exposure throughout the rest of the week? No, that's that's not that's not normal, right? We go out and we have some sun exposure every day. So if we're out in the sun for 30 to 45 minutes, and we're getting full sun exposure, we're getting exposure on our face, getting exposure on our hands and arms, we can generate up to 10,000 IUs of vitamin D per day. And so when we take that thought process and we put it into a clinical model, what that means is that for most patients, they're going to be better off supplementing over smaller dosages over a more consistent time frame as opposed to bolus dosing. And as you alluded, the bolus dosing does work, but I, I just feel like from my observation that I have seen more consistent effects from utilizing consistent dosing every day. And, and as far as a time frame on repletion on that, it does vary. And that's something I'll speak to here in a moment. But I would say if we're just going to generalize for a moment, we should say at least three months and probably better to give up to six months on that. Now, more specifically, why do I say that? Well, it really depends on what level of deficiency we're talking about, first of all. And if I'm going to break these down, if someone is in a borderline or a suboptimal level, a good, start, a good therapeutic starting dose for a person like that is going to be around 5,000 IUs per day. Now, if we, take to, if we look to someone who is in an overt deficiency or what we might label as a functional deficiency, at that point, I'm going to be thinking more in the realm of 10,000 IUs per day is going to be a better dosing for that. And if you, if you think in regards to supply and demand, especially when we talk about nutrient deficiencies, so many things can be explained by supply and demand. What you have to factor in is that the demand may actually warrant an increase in supply. So here's what that looks like. If I have someone who has blood sugar difficulties, maybe I've got someone who's pre-diabetic or already diabetic, or I'm working with someone who is overweight or has chronic immune system difficulty. For example, one of those autoimmune conditions I mentioned earlier, 10,000 IUs may not be enough for that individual. We may need to go above that because again, we have to balance that equation of supply and demand. And if we don't do that, then that individual is going to stay in a deficiency state. Now, there's one other piece to this that I will bring to the conversation. And that is, is that when we start to look at 
forms of vitamin D, forms of vitamin D make a huge difference in this conversation as well. There's two types of vitamin D that are in the marketplace. You have what is known as ergocalciferol, otherwise known as vitamin D2. And then you have cholecalciferol, otherwise known as vitamin D3. And the vitamin D3, the cholecalciferol, is what we are interested in. That is the form that consistently the medical evidence has shown that it is going to yield a better outcome than vitamin D2. Now, let's go one step further here for a moment, because not all vitamin D3s are equal as well. We have those that are emulsified, and we have those that are not emulsified. And quite simply, all this means is that when you emulsify a fat-soluble nutrient like vitamin D, you're breaking it down into much smaller particles. And by doing that, when you consume that product or consume that supplement, it has the ability to cover a much greater surface area and your absorption on it is going to be higher. So literally, we can see up to a two-fold increase by using an emulsified form as compared to a non-emulsified form of vitamin D3. And that's not necessarily written on the, on the labels of the supplements that we take. Now, I had the privilege to go, and, and Dr. Hill also, he, he's a rep for biotics research. And I have known about biotics research myself for a long time. I've seen them in the, uh, in the marketplace and whatnot. They're a professional-grade supplement company. And a lot of my colleagues follow Dr. Hill. So whatever Dr. Hill says, we do. I mean, it's about as simple as that. And I have many, many of my, my friends and colleagues that we all, we all share that same sentiment. So Dr. Hill, guess a couple of years ago, began a relationship with Biotics Research. And I had the privilege to go and tour the facility with Dr. Hill and the, and the president of Biotics Research. And I have to tell you, it was quite impressive. And what my takeaway was that they do absolutely everything necessary to make sure that the supplements we take are the best and highest quality, that they have no, you know, extraneous chemicals, whether it be something that's, you know, toxic to us or something that's just not needed in that, in that sample that, or the, uh, the raw material that goes into making these supplements. And this emulsified versus non-emulsified I would assume, and, and you can verify this, Dr. Hill, but I would assume that the, the biotics research form of D3 is an emulsified product that's going to have the highest ability to increase our, our, D, our vitamin D levels. That is indeed the case. And as you're saying this and just highlighting the purity, if you will, in these products, one other thing that came to mind for me on this that is a concern for some folks sometimes is safety. What is the safety profile on these things? And can I use them with kids or can I use them in, in other types of situations? And the nice thing about these emulsifieds is that in those instances, you can use a lower dose and still yield the same types of clinical outcomes. And so the risk profile is basically nullified, but yet we gain the benefits of having that vitamin D on board. That's a fantastic point. You know, there's some literature, and I, and I was watching a YouTube video recently with regard to COVID-19 and vitamin D, and there's a lot of interesting data that's coming out in terms of our ability to effectively deal with the virus and the viral load for people who potentially have higher vitamin D levels. And what, what was interesting is they noticed kind of a cutoff point from a latitude perspective, and people below a certain latitude just had 
a decreased severity of the disease compared to people in the north. And they, they were kind of hypothesizing that that was because of, of increased vitamin D, because the sun is more directly on us at lower latitudes than, than in the upper latitudes. And potentially, you know, the wintertime and, and, the, and the season has something to do with that as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on vitamin D as it relates to COVID? And, and do you have any insights with that? The first thing that comes to mind for me on this, and we're about a year into this, this situation right now, very early on, there was a paper that came out. And, and there, this is just one paper of, of a couple that were out there. But this paper was looking at different nutritional interventions for coronaviruses. And vitamin D was one of the one one of the nutrients that was highlighted in there, zinc being another. But vitamin D was spoken very, very highly of in this paper. Well, in the 12 months that have transpired now, we have only seen that that body of evidence has continued to grow. And the last numbers I looked at on this were something around the 80% of the individuals that contracted the coronavirus had a vitamin D deficiency. 80% is a pretty statistically significant number. Hard to ignore numbers of that magnitude. So point being on this is that really, if you're looking to protect yourself and help your immune system be able to modulate against this virus, vitamin D should ultimately be one of the first things that you're looking for. I, you know, we all live in a world where we have exposure to media and some of the big names that have ultimately contracted COVID. One of the things that a lot of these folks have done, and remember, these folks have access to pretty much any intervention that they would like. Vitamin D has been at the top of the list for a lot of these people, including when they were considering drugs as a part of that process. So really, when people ask me, hey, what's your preventative protocol? Vitamin D is the first thing I say to them. (laughs) That's pretty interesting. Now, People need to know their vitamin D levels. I mean, that's that's kind of and this is you know it's just a number. It's pretty easy to get. Can you can you talk about some of the different ways that people can can know their vitamin D and that way they they know how to take action from this from this conversation. You know, know your number, know what your repletion schedule should be, and then know that you're when you take a supplement that you're taking the the right supplement at the right dosage that's going to have the greatest effect with the least amount of risk of toxicity. Yeah, I, I, you know, you mentioned I've been practicing close to 20 years now. And when I first started practicing, no one knew what their vitamin D status was. And they certainly weren't going to their primary care physician and getting that number assessed. Now, I would be willing to safely bet that half of the patients, when I initially start consulting with them, have recently had it checked in the not too distant past or just currently know what their number is. This is nice because what that means is that as a consumer, as a healthcare consumer, you can go to your to your primary care physician. Most clinicians now are going to feel comfortable ordering vitamin D because the amount of information that's out there to justify looking at vitamin D has grown so substantially. There's a couple of different tests that can be used to assess vitamin D, but in general, the one that is looked at most frequently is what's known as 25-hydroxy vitamin D. And this is the form of vitamin D just as we've gone through some liver conversion here. But the reason this is the form of vitamin D, and this is not what we would consider the active form of vitamin D, it's right before that. But the reason we, we like this particular form as a marker on a laboratory test 
is it's stable. It is consistent and it's not going to fluctuate and give artificially elevated or deficient numbers. It's going to give a more consistent pattern of what the actual availability of vitamin D is. So 25 hydroxy vitamin D is what we're looking for here. Certainly most alternative practitioners, chiropractor, et cetera, they can, our chiropractors and so on, they can, they can assess these numbers. But again, if someone else is, you know, maybe they're already, there's already a relationship there with a primary care physician, they can easily ask that primary care physician, Hey, can you just check this? Let me see what it is. Now, the one word of caution that I would suggest here is that if you go that route versus the alternative practitioner is that you may find that those individuals will look to the laboratory numbers, meaning that if you're at 30 or above, you're okay on your vitamin D. And I would argue against that to say that you truly need to be at least 50, but again, better to be somewhere between 70 and 100 to truly get the full benefit of vitamin D. And, and that brings me to something uh, like your insight on as well regarding maintenance doses and have you seen variability with regard to how some people need one maintenance dose versus other people needing another maintenance dose uh, what are your thoughts on that yeah that's a good point too this is this takes us back to that supply and demand equation there is definitely a difference in what some individual supply is i'll just use you and i as an example you may be completely fine with 2,000 ius a day where i need 5,000 ius per day to be able to maintain the same blood levels of vitamin D. There's a couple of reasons that this can occur. One of which is that when we look at, again, how do we inherently produce vitamin D? Are most people inside throughout the day or are they outside? Well, most people are inside, so that's one factor. Do we have more things that are challenging our immune system in this day and age as opposed to yesteryear? Yes, we do. So those are all going to increase the demands for vitamin D. There's a lot of talk about the importance of the gastrointestinal tract and just how beneficial and how wide sweeping the effects from the gastrointestinal tract are. Most people have heard of probiotics. They may even take a probiotic. Well, what you want to consider is that probiotics produce the precursor for vitamin D and the vitamin D that they in turn produce also helps modulate the environment in the gut. So there's, if that is not healthy, if, that, if there's not a state of balance in the probiotics in the gastrointestinal tract, then your vitamin D levels are likely not going to be as adequate. And then you also get into this conversation about, does someone have increased inflammation? We need vitamin D to be able to modulate inflammation all the way down to the level of the genetics. And so someone who has more ongoing inflammation, they're just inherently going to have a higher demand for vitamin D to be able to offset that. That's super interesting. And that you know, that creates the question of how complex our bodies are with regard to our gut. You know, most people who have ongoing issues with regard to their energy, their health, their inflammation, uh, autoimmune disorders, um, you know, most of that starts with a conversation regarding the gut. Is, is that true? That is very true. And it makes me think, as we're talking about vitamin D here, Vitamin D has to connect to what are known as vitamin D receptors. And it's important to note where vitamin D receptors exist. Some people might think, hey, we talk about vitamin D in the bone. So they're probably some around the bone. Or we talk about vitamin D as it relates to the immune system. So the immune system cells probably have some. Well, how about if I told you your brain has vitamin D receptors, 
The breast tissue has vitamin D receptors. The prostate gland has vitamin D receptors. The gut has vitamin D receptors. You, you can see where I'm going with this is that these vitamin D receptors are fairly ubiquitous throughout the body. They are everywhere. And it goes back to that point of this is a vitamin, but it is also better characterized as a pro-hormone. It has hormone-like effects. And if we don't have adequate amounts of it, we're missing those effects. Yeah, it's just super interesting. I, I love talking about this stuff and, and learning from someone like Dr. Hill. I mean, I'm, this has been super valuable to me. I would love to have you on, on a semi-regular basis, Dr. Hill, and just learn more about some of these things. How can people connect with you? How can they learn more about you and, and what you're doing? I know you have a, a pretty prominent YouTube presence and you're, you have a farm. Uh, so you have a, you have a product that you bring, you know, sustainably raised uh, meat and, and grass fed. I mean, I mean, we could probably have a whole hour conversation about, about what you offer to the public, but how can people connect with what you have to offer? The easiest way to connect with us is through our, through my website, which is drarlandhill.com. You can see the YouTube page. There's uh, a lot of content on the YouTube page. I try to educate about gastrointestinal health, about nutrition, different topics in the functional medicine arena. And then also you mentioned that we do have a, a farm and ranch. So it was an important piece of our mission to be able to produce products that we talked about. It's one thing to, to talk about going out and finding grass-fed, grass-finished beef and what the importance of that is. It's another thing to actually be able to raise that and bring it to the individuals that are looking to optimize their health. And so we made that move and that's what we're doing now. We don't just do beef. Uh, we, we also do poultry, chicken. We have uh, meat, chicken, eggs, duck eggs. So a lot of options on there, but you can find that information at harvesthillsranch.com. So Either go to drarlandhill.com or harvesthillsranch.com. Awesome. So you can tell that, you know, Dr. Hill has a lot going on. He literally manages the ranch. Uh, it's, you know, the, his videos are super interesting. If you want to learn about sustainably and responsibly raised uh, livestock and, and how that affects our health, please do visit that page and just look up Dr. Arlen Hill on YouTube. You'll, you'll find him. Hey, thank you so much for uh, giving us this insight. To me, it's just, again, super interesting. And I love, I, just, I look forward to our next conversation about who knows what. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to share this information and absolutely looking forward to those future conversations. All right, thank you, Dr. Hill. Thanks for listening to the Peak Performance Podcast with Dr. Robert Barton. Visit Peak Performance Spine and Sports Medicine at peakclinics.com. That's peakclinics.com. Thanks again for listening.